like to shine extra bright. Again, not that they might see me, but that they may find you, the one in whom all glory and honor is due. Yahoo, my Ellen King, I pray that you accept from me this day my offering in Yahushua's name. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're continuing on with our discipleship training. As always, we're going to start off by entering into the world of Scripture, the opponent. Welcome to my world, a place where the natural eyes can't see, where your physical bodies can't be, where the last is first, the first is last, the end is told from the beginning, and when it appears as though one is losing, they're actually winning. Where trumpets are depicted as voices, and the persecuted righteous don't complain, but actually rejoices. Here swords are likened to the word, or demons of bird, the dead are yet alive, and the living are actually dead. Blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread. It's a place where the humble are depicted as poor, and the poorer one becomes, they later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place than the awesome world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears, and get ready to listen for the rock Hakodesh is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. All right, so. We are continuing on exploring the story of Israel. Hallelujah. This is a very awesome story and a very important story for us to understand. You know, so Israel is a story of Elohim's people. And we're in part two, which speaks to year two of Yah's chosen people when he called him out of Mitzrayim. Now Israel was Elohim's chosen people, the nation whose El was Yahuwah. This unique status has not passed to America or any other earthly nation. It only belongs to one, and that's Israel. And Israel, scripturally speaking, has always been a people. I know today it's a place but scripturally speaking, it was always a reference to a people. And so that's to be understood, you know, especially when we start dealing with Elohim's covenant. Because he took his people and he brought them into, his, into the wilderness and he covenanted with, with his people. And so, you know, Elohim's covenant is a forever covenant, an everlasting covenant. And when he proposed his covenant to his people, his people said they shall, um, they, he said they shall be his people and he will be their Elohim, you know. And so this is what Yah's desire is for his people, for them to belong to him and that he may be their Elohim. So if you want to be his people, then you have to allow him to be your Elohim. If you don't allow him to be Elohim, then you're not one of his people. Pretty simple. You know, now those who that agreed to that proposition, you know, they said all that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. And some of us still doing. Hallelujah. You know, so this happened during the wilderness experience. You know, and the wilderness experience is an experience, you know, that takes place in a dry land. A land of darkness. This is the scriptural uh, depiction or definition of a wilderness. It's a dry land of darkness, meaning there's not, not much, there's not much truth, and in, in in the land, and there's and it's full of ignorance. You know, so wherever you're gonna have a lack of truth, you're also gonna have plenty of ignorance. 
Amen? That is, ignorance just being a lack of knowledge. You know, so wherever there's a lack of truth, there's going to be a lack of knowledge. You know, and so here it is. We're talking about this wilderness experience. Now, at the end of year one, you know, right on the first day of year two, Yahya Israel erect a tabernacle they had been working on, you know, all throughout year one. And so, day one, month one of year two, they erected this tabernacle. You know, now this is very a very important point because once they came out of Mitzrayim, which is likened unto uh, a newborn believer coming out of the world, if you would, you know, or the world's way of thinking. They get into the wilderness and Yah begins to tell him what he expects of them. He begins to tell them how he wants them to be. He begins to tell, to um, teach them his will, his ways, his purposes. You know, and so this is why he's doing this, you know, during this time. This is when he propositions them. This is when he actually, you know, um, covenants with them, you know, and commands them to make him a dwelling place. You know, so if you're new if you're a newbie if, if you you know just recently you know accepted Yah and you've walking in his will way and, and, and purposes and you've call yourself coming out of the world you know that's one of the first things you should be doing that is you know erecting him a dwelling place you know or at least preparing yourself to become his dwelling place amen, amen. you know and so in year one this is what's going on in the first day of year two this dwelling place is erected so your second phase of your walk doesn't begin until you have actually made you a dwelling place can you see that yeah. you know and that dwelling place that he want to dwell in is within you so the tabernacle that you're supposed to be preparing for him to come and inhabit is actually your flesh body which is a tabernacle a temporary dwelling place you know, some of us, um, some folks don't understand that, you know, that your body isn't solely you. You're more than just your body. You're housed within your body, but you're more than just your body. And a part of you is going to live on, but a part of you isn't. And your body is the part that isn't. So while it is, you want to make it a dwelling place for Yah. You know, while it's, while it's living here, you know, you want it to be a dwelling place for Yah. And those who do so, they get to the second um, stage of, of their walk. Amen? You know, and so this is where year two picks up at. Now, we're going to back up a bit because... Numbers isn't quite in chronological order. You know, so we're going to have to back up. You know, so um, I don't know if you, any of you guys remember the um, order that we were going in, you know, what happened after they, uh, they erected the tabernacle. Anybody remember, you know, um, what Numbers taught us after that? Like in Numbers 1, 
7, yeah, Numbers chapter 1. Anybody remember that? Say again. Mm, not, not exactly. Huh? They took a census. They took a census, absolutely. When did they take that census? Before they went into the land. Yeah, it definitely was before they went into the land, but no. Like, when, when exactly did they take the census? No, I'm looking for a day. Yeah, I'm looking for a specific day. Year one, day one. Year one, day one. I mean, year two, day one. Year two, day one. Uh, that is not when they took the census. The day after. What was that? The day after. The day after? No, that's <laughs> good guess, but no. <laughs> okay, they took the census. Day one. Year two. Day one of month two. Okay? You know, remember that. Because it's, it's important. Yah doesn't give us dates for no reason. You know, he doesn't give us dates for, for no reason. You know, so they took the census in year two, month two, day one. You know, and so we just, you know, continued on. But now, you know, here it is. Yah has us go back. So I'm listing things in chronological order as they occurred. You know, so we're going to have chapter seven. You know, in our order of events, we're going to have chapter 7 precede chapter 1. Last shall be first. First shall be last. <laughs> you know, okay, well, Numbers um, chapter 7 deals with the chiefs of Israel, or the elders of Israel. And it speaks, says, the chiefs of Israel, the elders of Israel, they approached and brought their offerings before Yahuwah. You know, and so this is what's happening in Numbers chapter 7, which is a extremely long chapter by the way <laughs> that is I must say it is one of the chapters that that I love to read the least you know <laughs> because it's super redundant you know um, but yeah is stressing a very important point you know now let's take a look at numbers 7 1 through 6 it says, and it came to pass on the day that Moshe had fully set up the tabernacle and anointed and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them. Okay, it came to pass on the day that Moshe had fully set up the tabernacle. When did he fully set up the tabernacle? Yes. Year two. Month one, day one. That is when he set up the um the tabernacle. Alright? Now so we're talking about that same day, you know, that Moshe fully set up the tabernacle. So that is we're talking about year two, month one, day one. Alright? Now, verse two continues on. It says that the princes, that is the chiefs of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers. Who were the princes of the tribes were over uh, and were over them that were numbered offered. And they brought their offering before Yahuwah. 
six covered wagons and 12 oxen, a wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And Yahuwah spake unto Moshe, saying, Take it of them, that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle or the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moshe took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. So, essentially, this is a picture of the leaders of Israel giving their lives over to Yah via submission to his priest or Levites. Because, you know, all the priests was Levites. But all the Levites weren't priests. Say a lot. Alright, if we jump down to number 711, it says, it teaches us, it says, And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, They shall offer their offering each prince on his day for the dedicating of the altar. Hallelujah. Alright, so, you know, when you erect Yah's tabernacle, there is to be a dedication of the altar. Amen? Amen. Now, this is what happened. You know, let me have my next reader, or my first reader read Numbers 7, 12 through 17, please. And he that offered his burnt offering the first day was Nashan, the son of Abinadab, the tribe of Judah, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger, the weight thereof of an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of twenty shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Shan the son of Abinda. Hallelujah. Now, all the names and items mentioned here entail symbolism. The symbolism, in turn, tells a tale of an enchanter of the tribe of Yahuda giving a free will offering of truth, valued as Yah's elect with the blood of Messiah and the truth concerning his nation after the standard of the sanctuary. Both truths consist of those who were fully persecuted for having Ruach HaKodesh, Yah's power, filled with love and prayers. Now, each of the 12 tribes gave the same offering on their day. Now, question, what does this teach us? Good guess, but no. He absolutely is, but no. <laughs> Each of the 12 tribes gave the same offerings on their day. They were all special and chosen by him. But no. It shows a sharing of burden because everybody brings everything all the same thing, so no one was bringing all of Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. It centers around I'm going to give a hint All right. It centers around their day
was that? Absolutely. Hallelujah. You know, so what does it teach us? It teaches us. What did he say? We didn't hear it. He said 12 days is, is 12 days followed by Passover. So essentially what it's showing us is what was done those days prior to Passover. You know, so from Rosh Hashanah, from month one, day one, you know, they were doing something each one of those days up until the 12th day. And that is they were making offerings to dedicate the tabernacle. And so all of the leaders of the 12 tribes had to come and give their offering, each one on their day. So this would take us up to, you know, Nisan 12 or B12. And then you would have... Uh, the 13th and then the 14th. You know, so you have the 13th, you know, and then the 14th is Pesach. You see that? You know, so this, this, this teaches us what they were doing during that time. That it wasn't just blank days. You know, now, what does the order of their offerings teach us? Now, verse 12 tells us, And he that offered his offering the first day was Nishan, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Yahudah. You know, and then he goes on from there. I believe um, who comes next is Ishakar, then Zebulun. Mm. So, they're coming all in a certain order. And that order teaches us, you know, how, it teaches us how Yah expects for us to move. And if you look carefully and you consider all the names in the order that's given, you'll notice that they are actually following the pattern of the sun. You know, so... Which what which direction does Yahuda face? Then which way does the sun go from the east? Exactly. So if you look at the first three tribes, which is Yahuda, Issachar, and Zebulun, then you'll see that those were the ones in the east, and then he goes over to the ones that was in the west. You know, um, I mean, I'm sorry, over to the south. You know, uh, which was. Uh, I know Ben Yamin was the, um, yeah, he was he was the uh, the sixth one, you know. When no, he wasn't. Um, uh, it escapes me, but it goes it goes from the south to the south and then to the west and then to the north, you know. So it follows the course of the sun, you know. So what does that teach us? It teaches us that Yah, you know, always have us follow the light. You know, he could have just as easy it went the other direction, couldn't he? You know, but he did not. You know, and so they offered their offerings in accordance to the course of the sun. You know. Something else it teaches us too. What's that? 
Well, it's 130 plus 70 plus 10, total of 210 shekels uh, for the 12 tribes. 210 times 12 is 2520, uh, which is a prophetic number seven times. Uh, 360 times 7, 2520. Hallelujah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, that, that number sounds familiar. It's, it um, is. It's, it's um, mentioned in Revelations. It is. You know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know. So, hallelujah, there's something else that it teaches us. <laughs> I didn't catch that one. You know, uh, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't looking. Uh, I wasn't looking at at it from that perspective, but but yeah. So it teaches us that as well. And so here it is. You know, it just goes to show like there's so much in these things. You know that can be found. You know, it's it's the word is infinite. You know, so it it truly is. You know, but there you go. You know, so it these these things actually teach us something there's a reason why you got to read this 12 times you know this this um chapter has 89 verses yes lovely uh so if we move on to chapter 8 it begins to speak of um the lighting of the menorah so we're still at day one how do we know we're still at day one? Because they're lighting the menorah. You know, and once the menorah was lit, it was to never go out. It was the uh, priest's job to make certain that it didn't, the, um, the, the light was never extinguished. So, let me have my next reader read Numbers 8, 1 through 4. Yahuwah spake unto Moses, say, Speak unto Aaron and say unto him, when thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over the candlestick. And Aaron did so. He lighted the lamps, therefore, over against the candlestick as Yahuwah commanded Moses. And his work of the candlestick was of, was of beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof, was beaten work. According, according unto the pattern which Yahuwah had shewed me, showed Moses, so he made the candles. Hallelujah. So, here it is, we're seeing that speaking of the seven lamps, that should give their life over against the candlestick. So, you know, when we consider Revelations, you know, 1, 10 through 13, it teaches us about this pattern that Moshe was shown. You know, because Moshe didn't do this in accordance to what was in his mind. It says according to the pattern which Yahuwah had showed Moshe. And so we see a very similar pattern that Yah showed Apostle John. And it's found in Revelations 1, 10 through 13. It says, And I was in the Ruach on the Adonai's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and unto Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. 
And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot, girt about with the paps with a golden girdle. You know, any, anyone uh, ever wonder why the menorah is on our logo? This is why. Because it represents Yahshua. You know, and the candlesticks. Oh, I thought I had it in there. Oh, yeah, I do. Revelation 120. And the candlesticks, you know, they have representation, you know, and um, the representation is given in Revelation 120. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, what we just um, read about was a description of Yahshua in the midst of his seven churches. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, and having his angels within his right hand, within his power, you know. And so we see a beautiful depiction of what the menorah actually denotes. All right, let me have our next reader read Numbers 8, 5 through 7. And Yahuwah spake unto Moshe, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them, and let them shave all their flesh, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. Hallelujah. Okay, so, Yah tells them to take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And so they take the Israelites, now they have to cleanse them. And he says, this is what you should do unto them to cleanse them. You can't just... You know, cleanse them any old kind of way. You can't cleanse them in accordance to how you think you want them to become clean. You have to cleanse them the way that Yah says to cleanse them. Hallelujah. See, Yah is an L of specificity. You can't you do things your way. You have to do them his way. So he says, sprinkle water of purifying upon them. Okay, now, this water, actually, this water of purification, if you would, you know, actually speaks to the, um, the water... Uh, of purification that's spoken of with the with the red heifer that was made with the red heifer. You know now, consider this word sprinkle. It's nazah in the Hebrew, number fifty one thirty seven. It means to spurt, i.e., a sudden forcible gush or jet. So that sounds a little bit like a little bit more than just a sprinkle to me. You know they translated it as sprinkle, but you know a spurt is more of a sudden forcible gush or jet. You know, so I kind of see like, you know, uh, a bucket or a pitcher, you know, just, you know, coming out over someone, you know. Uh, now, water speaks to what? All right. So we see, you know, someone, you know, getting this forcible gush or jet of truth. You know, and this word purifying is, is actually katawa. In number 2403, which speaks to an offense or a sin. You know, so it's actually a picture. And if you look at the picture, if you see, you know, that this 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 forcible gush or jet of truth, you know, uh, you know, hitting an offense or, or a sin. You know, and this is what's being described in Ephesians 5. 
24 through 26 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Adonai. For the husband is head of the wife, even as the Mashiach is head of the ecclesia, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Mashiach, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as the Mashiach also loved the ecclesia and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. And so when you can see the spiritual picture behind this sprinkling of water, um, of purifying upon them, as translated by the KJV, you, you, when you can see the picture, you can see how it actually aligns with other scripture. Amen? You know, so hereby we learn that it's via Yahushua's word, that is his, that is his commands, words, and sayings, that we're made clean. You know, and so, you know, this is how, what we want to do with any sin. We want to put the truth on it. We want to put the word of the Most High um, on it. Let, it. let it gush out upon it. Put that jet on it and wash it clean. You know, now, Numbers 8, 7 goes on to saying, Thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. And it spoke of the sprinkling of water. Um purifying them and you know like I was saying this alluded to the red heifer the water of the red heifer you know and Yahshua who is the word who is the truth who is the water you know um, that speaks to that, that water you know also washes away our sins and we see this in Hebrews 9 11 through 15 my next reader please <clears throat> but Messiah being come at high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle now made not made with <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> not made with hands uh, that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Messiah, who though, who through the eternal Ruach offered himself without spot to Elohim Purge your conscience from dead works to the to the serve to serve the living Elohim, <clears throat> and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hallelujah. So so we see that the author of um, the book of Hebrews is is really he's he's coinciding what he's saying. He's aligning it with what we're reading about in Numbers eight about the separation of the Levites and how they're to be made clean so that they may serve the living Elohim. You know, and so uh, 
he's saying, you know, but not with the water of purification, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place. You know, who through his eternal Ruach offered himself without spot to Elohim. Purge, let it purge your conscience from dead works so that you serve Yahuwah. You know, and so the verse, um, chapter 8, verse 7 of Numbers, you know, also speaks of the cleansing process. You know, um, a second part of it is a three-part process. The second part of it is to let them shave all their flesh. So, I got something for you. If the heavens are above, then where is Hades? All right, below, beneath. Again, if the light of our lives coming from the heavens, then whence cometh our darkness? Say again? From beneath. From beneath. Absolutely. Our darkness come not from above, but from beneath. Lastly, if the kingdom of heaven is within us, then where are the kingdoms of this world? Without us. Absolutely. You know, so when we look at what's without us, we see the kingdoms of this world. When we begin to be able to see what's within us, we see the kingdom of Elohim. Now, if the kingdom of, of heaven speaks to those who will be saved, saved, then, uh, then those of this world speak to those which will be what? Lost is not in the kingdom. What's going to happen to them, though? Yeah, they won't be saved, but... Yes, damnation, second death, destroyed. That's what I'm looking for. You know, they're going to be they're going to be destroyed. You know, uh, now, lastly, if you understand these things, then tell me what it means for one to shave all their flesh. Remove the cares of this world. Yes. Yes, I will accept that. You know. Uh, but how so? Elaborate, please. Because you're removing the thing that's on the outside of the flesh. Absolutely, because you're removing the thing that's on the outside of the flesh or the thing that extends into the world most. You know, and so this is a picture if you look at how the priests, I mean, I'm sorry, the Levites, you know, were to be cleansed, then you also can see how you're to be cleansed. Amen? You know, so first, we're to be washed with the water of the word, even as they were sprinkled with the water of purifying. Amen? Then, let them shave all their flesh. In other words, let them destroy, cut away all their, everything that, ex, uh, every part of them that extends into the world. Can you see that? Yeah. You know, because, you know, when you shave your flesh, you're cutting off your hair, and your hair is the part of you that extends the furthest into the world. So what y'all wants you to do in order to cleanse yourself is to cut off every part of you that extends into the world. Can you see that? All right, you know, now the last part of verse 7 says, And let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. 
Then verse 8 goes on to say, Then let them take a young bullock with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil, and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering. Now, one's clothes or covering speaks to that which cover, hide, or protect their flesh. Now, now that you have this clean flesh, now that you have this flesh that's no longer extending into the world, you have this flesh that, that's been shaved. It's everything that, that, was a, that was attached to it that extended into the world has been shaved and has been cut away. Now your flesh is clean. Can you see that? Now you're supposed to wash your clothes. And the clothes speak to that which covers, hides, or protects the flesh. That is the flesh body. Hence your clothes or covering is to be righteousness. So once you destroy everything that extends from you into the world, then you're supposed to cover your clean flesh with righteousness. And that righteousness works to cover, to hide, and protect the cleanness of your flesh. Can you see that? I pray y'all can see that. You know, hence we see in Revelation 19, 80 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. See, the saints are to be clothed with righteousness, and it's this righteousness of Elohim that keeps us and preserves the cleanliness of our flesh. Hallelujah. That's beautiful. I don't know about nobody else, but that's beautiful. That's a beautiful picture. You know, Yah is good. You know, so that's what the cleansing process looked like, y'all. That's what the prison, the cleansing process looks like. You know, that's what it looked like for them. That's what it looks like for us. You know, they were just giving symbolism. Y'all just trying to make it plain. But the process is still the same. This is how we become clean in the eyes of Yahuwah. So if you want to be as a Levite, if you want to be as one of those that's attached to him, because that's what Levi means, to be attached. So if you want to be attached to him, you want to be joined to him, you know, which is a picture of being married to him, yeah. then you must cleanse yourself. If you want to be one of those taken from Israel to serve him, then you have to become cleansed. Verses 9 through 11 goes on to say, And thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and thou shalt bring the Levites before Yahuwah, and the children of Israel shall put their hands on the Levites, and Aaron shall offer the Levites before Yahuwah for an offering of the children of Israel, and that they may execute the service of Yahuwah. See, you can't serve Yahuwah if you're unclean. So you must first become clean. And then the high priest has to offer you up. So get this. Whenever you see a laying on of hands, it denotes a transference. See, and this is why you're not to lay hands on no man suddenly. This is why you shouldn't let any and everybody lay hands on you. 
Because when with a laying on of hands comes a transference. And here we see the children of Israel transferring their sins over to the Levites. You know, we see the children of Israel shall put their hands on the Levites. So they're transferring their sins over to the Levites. The high priest then offered the Levites unto Yahuwah and thereby cleanses the children of Israel. But the Levites can't serve Yah having sin upon themselves. Hence we read in the next verse, verses 12 through 14, says, And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks. And thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering unto Yahuwah to make an atonement for the Levites. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto Yahuwah. Thus shalt thou separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. Hallelujah. Yeah. So you see, he didn't leave the Levites to be unclean. The Levites would in turn lay their hands on the bullocks. You know, and transfer their sins to the bullocks. You know, and then they should offer the bullocks up. One for a sin offering. And one for a burnt offering. All this is is a picture of one offering their flesh, sacrificing their flesh as a sin offering, and allowing their flesh for the burnt offering. This is a picture of one, you know, allowing their flesh to be totally, one hundred percent consumed. By Yah. You know, and in doing so, it makes atonement for the Levites. You know, so if you're attached to Yah and you want Yah to be attached to you, you know, then you have to sacrifice your flesh. And you have to do it. For a lifetime. That's what a burnt offering depicts. It depicts a lifetime. 100%. You know. Until it's totally consumed. From the time that you start. Until the time is totally consumed. And knowing that Yah is a consuming fire. We can see that it's totally consumed of Yah. Verse 13 goes on to say, And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto Yahuwah. You know, thus thou shalt separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. This um, word atonement, where it says to make an atonement for the Levites, is kafar, number 3722, meaning to cover. So this is how one is covered. You know, this is how their sins is covered. You know, and the sin offering, you know, and the burnt offering is just a picture of how they should live their lives. A sacrifice of their flesh 
and a sacrifice of the cares of this world. Let Yah consume it all. And it's just simply a picture of living sacrifices. We are living sacrifices, it says. But I say, slow it down, champ. Not so, not so quick. Some of us are living sacrifices. You know, you can't be a living sacrifice unless you're sacrificing. You got to be sacrificing something to be a living sacrifice. I mean, you know, and so the Levites, you know, their picture depicts them sacrificing their flesh. You know, is this any different than Yahshua saying, pick up your torture stake and follow me? Well, what is a torture stake? When he got on that torture stake, what was he going to do? Sacrifice himself, was he not? So it's, it's no different. You know, so if you're willing to become that living sacrifice, you know, yeah, you can be joined to Yah as well. You can become a Levite. You know, now, what we're reading about here in Numbers chapter 8, if you understand clearly what I'm trying to get across, you'll, you'll also see that it's no different than what what's, we're taught in Romans 12, 1 and 2 by Apostle Paul. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Levites were the living sacrifices. They were the only ones that were sacrificed unto Yah and lived. They are presented as the living sacrifices. And this is what Apostle Paul is talking about. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's calling you to join yourself to Yah. He's calling you out of Israel to become a Levite. One that's joined to Yah. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to Elohim. Which is your reasonable service. You know, that is just a picture of a sin offering. That's all it is. Which is your reasonable service. That's, you're not even getting no kudos for that. That's just reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of Elohim. And that's just a picture of the burnt offering. Letting y'all consume Every part of you, 100%. Consume your, not only your body, but your mind as well. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of Elohim. You know, this is a beautiful picture of Yahshua's ecclesia that's given in the Levites. In if you don't understand this about the Levites, you're not going to understand that Yahshua's ecclesia either. Say lie. That's all I have for you today. Prayer was a blessing.
me talk about this laying of hands for a second. Um, a transference. So what exactly does a laying of hands look like? Because I shake people's hands. I hug people. I'm trying to catch them. I got to now tell them, like, no, back up. <laughs> 